Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod. I'm Paul Jarvis, editor of Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin, and I'm joined by my deputy, Jonathan Davis. Hi, Paul. And the man in charge of our Globe Pro database, Rory Chapman. Hi, Paul. In this episode, we'll be discussing the thoughts of former Deputy Prime Minister Lord Michael Heseltine, who I spoke to recently, and I'll also give some views from a recent visit to a hospital project. Jonathan will then take us through what's happening in the US, from federal-level projects to the rise of state-level enabling legislation. And we'll have a roundup of some of the more interesting projects from the man in charge of our database, Rory. So let's begin with Lord Heseltine, former Deputy Prime Minister under John Major in the 1990s and a Cabinet Minister when that government created PFI in 1992. And I'm sure plenty of our listeners will also remember him as a uh, major lieutenant in Margaret Thatcher's government and, of course, the man who was perhaps instrumental in bringing her down. But first of all, I should probably give a quick disclaimer in that Haymarket, the company that owns Partnerships and P3 Bulletin, and therefore pays our wages, is owned by Michael Heseltan and the Heseltan family. Now, I've written an article based on my conversation with Lord Heseltan, but the thing that I think clearly came across in that conversation was just how passionate he still is about the idea of regeneration, and in particular how the public and private sectors need to work together to deliver the kind of regeneration and economic growth that the country needs. One of the critical things that he said was when we were talking about his creation of development corporations as the kind of first real iteration of public-private partnerships back in the late 70s, early 80s, is that people began to become, as he said, mates with each other on projects from both the public and private sector sides. And some of the work we focused a lot on over the past year or so has been really around the breakdown in some of these relationships and Maybe that suggests that you know, the idea that Michael Heseltine is sort of pushing and, and so clearly believes in has been somewhat lost. But if you're going to get projects that are effective and efficient and work properly, then you need to have people who are working alongside each other. So, for example, you know, the Ministry of Defence main building project, I think we've talked about before on this podcast, we've certainly written about it in the past. They have basically all the different parties in that project working together in one room and people have sort of said you can walk into that room and not know who belongs to which company they all effectively are part of the main building pfi group working together to make sure that that project is successful so that's clearly something that um was coming through from what michael heseltine was saying and you know something that we need need to be more focused on probably jonathan any other thoughts yeah absolutely just to reiterate i think it's a really really fantastic interview and uh, really recommend it to all of our um, listeners on that note one of the things that Hesseltine says is about the, the fact that the UK is kind of over centralized in the way that the government works and encourages devolution which is something a trend that we've seen more and more over the last kind of 10-20 years and as a result of that devolution the partnership between the public and the private sector becomes I think at one point he says like a necessity because local authorities don't have the means to deliver or skills to deliver the projects that they need to. And that just further reinforces the need to be able to have these kind of partnerships that work well together. Otherwise, you devolve, it doesn't work, and then it has to go back centralised again. So it's really interesting to see from one of the really big brains behind making regenerations work 
what the lessons learned. And you've seen with Canary Wharf clearly and with Liverpool, Hasseltine really does know what it takes to make a team work and to deliver things that people previously didn't think possible. So as I said, it's a fantastic interview. And I think there's some really big lessons to learn for our industry. And I know you've recently gone to see another more recent example of a regeneration. What was that like? And is those kind of lessons being delivered now? Are people abiding by his principles? Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the um, Springfield Hospital in South London is part of the um, the Southwest London and St. George's Mental Health NHS Trust's regeneration project, the partnership that it struck with the STEP consortium led by Sir Robert McAlpine and Kajima. That was a really interesting way of looking at things in that that is a very local project that is focused on developing local responses and a, a regeneration to the issues that are in that area and, and actually focused on that community much more than perhaps looking at it from a top-down point of view as a, a reorganisation of a health service. But also obviously with that in mind, because obviously as an NHS trust, you have to have in mind the, the broad government focus and the government focus is much more on providing services in the community, less about big acute hospitals providing all your needs. And that is something that came through in those conversations I had at the trust is that they're very keen to use the work that's going on there, not just as a means of getting some new buildings and replacing old buildings with new, but actually using those new buildings as a way of delivering a holistic treatment to those that come into the building, yes, and who need it, but also as a way of going out into the community. And you know the way they're doing that is obviously partly through the new clinical buildings, but they're also integrating housing, affordable housing, higher end housing for the community as a way of really redeveloping the whole area and making it a place that is livable, workable, all those kind of things. And I think having that kind of higher level look of we need to be doing this not because we need a new building, but because we want to deliver services differently. I think that's sort of that does play in really to the conversation I was having with, with Michael Hesseltine around you know, regeneration. Regeneration is not just something that you do because you want to put up a new building. It really has to be about developing an area so that you can get other outcomes. And, you know, for, for Hesseltine, a lot of that is around economic growth, because that was what his focus was. In the case of the Trust, it's very much around delivering health services across a wider area than the footprint of what is actually quite a large area in itself yeah definitely and i think that's a good time to plug a previous podcast that i recently did with graham Olver from luton rising who's in charge of luton airport and he goes into great depth about how they're trying to use infrastructure to drive those kind of wider changes in the society but just coming back to the nhs we've seen some really interesting you know deals coming forward in the last couple of weeks we saw I think it was Equitix in Liverpool reopen a couple of cancer centres or at least one and seeing how that partnership is enabling services to be reopened. We also saw Kings in London tender a framework which could include design build finance for a new part of its estate. So there's lots of different ways of doing things and interesting projects that are coming down which are helping trusts to 
really, like you say, evolve what they do and improve their services at the same time as recapitalizing a really large estate, which can sometimes include more than they need or changing needs. And I think it's a real opportunity to help with that transition. Yeah, certainly. And yeah, it's probably worth kind of pointing out actually that you might not think that, you know, a building built in 1840, just going back to the um, Springfield Hospital, a building built in 1840, which was at the time named the Surrey County Pauper Lunatic Asylum. You might not imagine that would make for, you know, Sounds nice. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It'd make for a desirable home today. But actually, you know, one of the things I did on the little wander around was we managed to have a little look in at um, one of the show homes within the old building, the actual original old building that has been redeveloped inside into yeah, a series of flats. And yeah, they're really quite high-end flats. And you would not ever imagine, actually, when you're inside there, that you were inside a form of... Um, as I say, Lunatic Asylum, as it was originally named. And I should also say we will have an in-depth piece on that case study, including uh, some video content. So that'll be on our website in the near future. So do look out for that. Now, Jonathan, I know you've been taking a closer look at what's been happening at a federal level in the US. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really interesting sector. It's one that kind of gets a little bit overlooked because the projects can be quite unique, but it's a really exciting sector. So at IIJ or when IIJ was posted, it was quite emphatic that the DOT is going to be using or considering using P3s for lots of its projects. Also, the Department of Energy delved into the model as well. But what I'm talking about is the military. It's a completely different entity. And often, you know, people look at it as kind of its own thing. So over the last couple of months or years, we've seen some really, really interesting tenders ramping up. I've spoken to leaders from the US Army Corps of Engineers and also from the Navy's NAVWAR to talk about their projects, which are promising to be some of the biggest P3s in the country. Now, we have seen some P3s by the military before. There's some housing projects, but it's been a little bit here and there. But what the US Army Corps of Engineers are doing is a really interesting pilot where they've got, as we've seen before with the Fargo and Moorhead projects, it's the Fed's putting their weight behind projects and getting them off the floor and partnering with the local authorities to then enable projects that probably wouldn't come through in the same way to progress. And as we saw the numerous awards that happened with Fargo and Moorhead, this is a really exciting project and lots of people were fighting for it. It wasn't the smoothest of procurements, but it got over the line. And what's important is it's led to little tinkerings being done for more projects coming down the line and they're progressing well including one in LA and one in Denver. I go a little bit into that in the feature that I've written about it but what was most important is that there's a real bullishness on the kind of fundamentals behind these projects and they work by basically going out to the whole of the United States and saying to any authority do you have a project that we can help with and then the authorities apply, USA's kind of analyze them, and then they check to see which is the most feasible. Now, there's not going to be millions of these coming in line. It's not going to be a whole wave of projects, but these are big. And 
Aaron Schneider, who's leading this, is expecting a good, steady pipeline to come through, which could be a real golden thread running through the industry. Because like I said, these are big projects. They're quite unique. They are making a big difference. They're also quite green. So I think that's a really interesting sector to watch. But the real heavy hitter that's come into the P3 industry recently has been the Navy's Navoir facility at Point Loma in San Diego. Now, this is an absolute mammoth of a project. It covers, I think, about 70 acres of land, which will be given over to the private development team for 99 years in return for building a new facility for the Navoir team who basically provide the technical support for the US Navy. Now, some would say this isn't your traditional P3 because it is a land swap, but it involves all the kind of hallmarks of what a P3 should be. There's a lot of real estate involved, which is one of the caveats, but the likely plan is going to feature a transit station as well as a major, major new hub, as I was talking about. And what's most important is that recently it's progressed with four shortlisted teams. So clearly there's a lot of interest in this project of a ridiculous scale. And so that's a real feather in the cap of the industry. So those are the kind of the lay of the land. But I think what's important, and it's the kind of point I wanted to stress in this feature, is what it's like to partner with the federal government. Because it's a different beast to partnering with a local outfit, which has been the spearhead, really, of what the P3 industry has been. And the key thing was the pace. These projects are not fast movers but they are fast movers for the federal government, which is a completely different time scale to what everyone else is working on. But what's important about this is that it's slow because they want to get it right. There's a lot on the line. They're the custodians of taxpayers' money. It has to go right, otherwise it's a big waste of money. And the emphasis on being slow so it, the procurement goes smoothly and that smoothness allows it to progress at an agreeable pace. So... These projects have been a long time coming, but they're going to make the best partners. In Navoir particularly, they're going a lot further than the requirements are in terms of the environmental processes and assessing the geotechnical risks of the area. So that's another big green tick in the partnering front. And this is brilliant. This is a, a sector that where you can have real mission impact, which is what a big plus for why people are getting involved. And... Um, yeah, it's an interesting sector. Yes, definitely. Definitely very interesting. And I guess in some ways, you know, going back to our conversation earlier and the UK, Michael Heseltine and the sort of talking about devolution, this is kind of the opposite, but not necessarily in a bad way. I think, you know, obviously devolution has its place in certain situations and, you know, across the US, states are well equipped to do work in their areas in a lot of cases. But sometimes there needs to be that federal level oversight because the project is so big, because the entities involved are federal level organizations like the military. But also to get that kind of sometimes, I guess, cross-border involvement in terms of maybe different states being involved, you need a kind of federal level of oversight. Yeah, definitely. And numerous people I've spoken to in the past have complained about the decentralized nature of the P3 industry is that one project is completely different to the other. But with these, you've got leadership, as you say, being from a central place. With the Army Corps of Engineers, it's going to be different projects in different jurisdictions and the project sponsor will change. But you know you have that backstop and that repeat 
I'm not, I don't want to say professionalism, but these standards and requirements and partnering element that USACE will provide with all of those projects. And with the Navy, whilst NAVWAR project really is right at the forefront of everything, a lot of people have missed that there was another RFI earlier in the year by a Navy project on the East Coast, which is looking to overhaul a barracks, which itself described as a rare opportunity. So we've got these different pipelines coming through, which will rear their head in different states at different times and will likely have some different elements to them. But like you said, this is a repeat thing. Yeah. And as you say, on that kind of different elements aspect, and you said earlier, you know, question the Navoir one, whether it's a classic P3, it's obviously not a classic P3. But I think the key thing is that there is a desire from the public entity to transfer risk to the private sector while still retaining involvement, retaining some ownership over what's developed. Yeah, absolutely. And that all comes down to some changes that have happened over the last decade or so inside of particularly the Navy, which has allowed for these in-kind considerations to be made when considering how to procure projects. And that's enabled, as I said before, the timeline for the Navy to be completely reduced or reduced at great effect because no longer do they have to go all the way up and down the chain to be able to procure these projects. They get to, as you say, assess all the different options they have and then go out for solutions to the private sector in this case who can then come back with their ideas. And that whole section is a real, real benefit to cut out and and get these projects moving. So an important sector and one which I think gets overlooked because they are quite sporadic and maybe some would say, you know, Point Loma is just way too big for us. There's no way to get involved in that. But you don't know what the next one will be like. So I think it's one to watch and um, hopefully there'll be some lessons learned as with Fargo and Moorhead, which are leading to more projects. Promising sector. Yeah, definitely. And your point there about how so rules have changed over the years, cues you in nicely for our next thing that you've been looking at, which is obviously <laughs> legislation. Yeah, absolutely. So we've had some really hot news off the press over the last couple of weeks, which has obviously been the Tennessee P3 law, which has been signed off by Governor Bill Lee. And this is going to pave the way for their program to begin. And it's just the tip of the spear, really, of P3 legislation across different states. Now, drawing on an article that we've got on our site at the moment by Sandra McQuain, who's join the team to help us really get some in-depth and boots on the ground insight into the United States that at the moment there's over 20 states that have legislation going through some kind of legislative machination at the moment. Now most excitingly perhaps is Kentucky and Maryland where these bills are doing something different and they're putting school P3s at the forefront of their legislation Obviously, coming off the back of Prince George's success, which has now shortlisted teams for its second bundle, schools P3s are going from strength to strength. And everyone's watching, I think, to see whether that project is going to be just a a unique area. They've managed to pull it off, but it's too much for other people. But it looks like it's starting to spread and germinate, and that could be two more areas that come online. And that's really, really promising. And I won't go into all the lists, but just to name a few and just to show how widespread the appeal of P3s are to authorities. We've got legislation in Rhode Island, New Jersey, New Mexico, Colorado, Illinois. All of them have got stuff in the works. 
So definitely read a bit more from Sandra's article on our website. And I think this kind of touches on a little bit of a fear that's been going around the industry recently. And we had a lot of chat about it at P3C, which is whether P3s are needed at the moment and whether with so much money in the public system, private finance is needed at the moment. But clearly you've got authorities from all over the United States who are putting DBFOM or some kind of that into their tool belt. And this moment of money in the system coming through and inflation and rate rises, that will likely pass at some point. And people want to be armed with these tools on their belt. Yes, certainly. I think it is definitely an interesting and quite exciting time to see what's happening here with this legislation. I think you know the majority of states now have got some form of legislation in place and have had it in place for several years in, in many cases. But of that, we've seen states where in the past their P3 laws have, have sunsetted, so they have not continued to have the legislation in place for everything. But I think um, this sudden, sudden is perhaps the wrong word, but certainly now there seems to be a, a rush to increase the legislation that they have, reinforce it, improve it, expand it, really does point to an opening up of the P3 momentum. And I think the perhaps understanding at a state level of what P3 can offer them. Yeah, definitely. And you see it in different forms in different areas. There was a lot of talk during the Tennessee's procedures about what form the P3s could be. And there was a lot of opposition to tolls, which are very popular in some areas. But here they've chosen choice lanes as the way that they would like to ramp up their infrastructure. So it's not one size fits all. Lots of different legislations and different areas are going to mould it to their purposes. So I think the industry needs to prepare itself to be able to respond to the different challenges. And yeah, it's it's definitely exciting. Yes, and it's not just in North America that we're seeing this kind of focus on legislation is it no so this is a kind of different kettle of fish but in brazil and in latin america as a whole there's obviously been a lot of political changes colombia had a really booming pipeline a year or so ago but that's dampened down although we have seen some projects coming back online but most importantly in terms of legislative changes that you're saying in brazil with lula and his re-election he's brought in some new regulations that are really looking to drive more international expertise and investment into the sanitation sector. And Fitch has backed that up and says that they do expect there to be more P3s, but perhaps there'll be a little bit less competition. But there were some people questioning about what would happen to P3s in Brazil, which had been very much in favour under the previous administration. But it looks like they're still continuing to be so. Yes, and actually on that, I guess, if you think about the history of Brazil and its presidents in recent years not been the greatest uh, history with various court cases, corruption scandals, which Lula himself has obviously been involved in. However, to put that to one side to a certain extent, Lula himself was quite in favour of P3s in his previous time in office and sort of helped to push that forward. And I think he's made some key appointments over the past, well, since he was re-elected, in which those people have had important roles you know, previously in his P3 work and also in the private sector coming from banking backgrounds, that sort of thing. So yeah, it does look like the architecture there is being set up to enable and 
allow for more B3s, which is encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. And that's only been reinforced by his picks to lead the Brazilian development bank, BNDES, which really is one of the main fulcrums of the P3 industry in Brazil. And the new leadership has repeatedly stressed the need for partnerships. So it could be a really big year, but it might be different. You know, I've spoken to a number of operators in the area over the last couple of weeks, and they were saying maybe the projects will change. And we've seen that in the proof of the pudding where there's been a spate of lighting projects that have come online, which weren't particularly in favour before. So it might be different. Maybe it will be sanitation, lighting, rather than huge transport projects. But it looks like there will be a mix. So it's definitely one to keep watching. And another place that's looking to get back on its feet is in Peru, where there's been a lot of political turbulence over the last few months, has now relaunched a couple of its tenders. Its private investment agency, Proinversion, has lined up a $2.3 billion and $900 million highway concessions to come out this year, as well as a $760 million industrial park. And that's let alone their rail and transmission projects. So it's interesting time in Latin America. It's gone through, a, a, I would say, a pretty difficult year, but it looks like it's settling down. And maybe this can be the time that it settles down in a way that private investment, particularly foreign private investment, actually can get on board. Yeah, I'd say it's really an optimistic time for P3 across the Americas, really, from our conversations on what's happening in the US down through Latin America. Definitely an exciting time. Yeah, Puerto Rico had an interesting project which involved a land swap of some kind between some tourism assets and widening a highway. So that's interesting. Mexico also recently tendered a tourism-based port PPP that will look to regenerate an area. So it's definitely following America's and Canada's lead, really. And the skills are going to be utilised everywhere. So definitely an interesting place. And as you say, sort of comes back to that question of what is a P3, I suppose, to a certain extent. You know, we're very much looking at widening that band of what comes in under a P3, I think, with different types of arrangements. But again, it goes back to the point you made earlier that it's really risk transfer is the key thing that brings it all together. Yeah, definitely. Well, this actually is kind of a perfect time to introduce our new segment that Paul highlighted at before. So joining us in the studio, who is definitely not for regular listeners it's definitely not Dillsworth although you probably won't see Dillsworth and the next guest in the same room very often Rory Chapman who heads our global projects tracker is going to give us a little bit of an update on some of the interesting things that he's seen over the last month so Rory I know one of the big things was in Saudi Arabia which has long promised to be one of the most exciting areas for PPPs and delivering I might add they have some really incredible projects what's going on there? Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, there's obviously big news coming out of Saudi Arabia with this pipeline of over 200 PPP projects across 17 different sectors. So I've been getting my teeth stuck into them. So like I said, there's a big range of different sectors. Usually we've seen a lot of water projects in Saudi Arabia using private finance. Is it still those kettle of fish? Are there any new sectors coming online? So with water projects, it seems as if it's going to be mainly publicly financed. So we're looking at the BOO, build, operate and own method, or the BOOT, build, operate, own and transfer. So we're seeing a load of reservoir projects coming in. 
desalination plants, water transmission pipelines, but at this point we're looking at publicly financed methods for those in terms of the delivery. Healthcare, there seems to be a lot more private financed projects which are confirmed. So two bundles of healthcare centres, one of which consists of 74 units, the other 150. There's three new maternity hospitals, one of which is confirmed as a DBFOM project and staff accommodation rehabilitation hospitals. So it's certainly a massive pipeline in the healthcare sector particularly. What about transport? We've seen a couple of ports before in Saudi Arabia, but around in the Gulf, we've seen some really impressive transport projects. Sure. Is, is that coming online? We haven't seen many projects like horizontal transport infrastructure in Saudi Arabia. So yeah, certainly the PPP model is definitely going to be used for more of the transport projects in Saudi Arabia. We're seeing three new airports currently in planning, one of which the Taif Airport is confirmed as a DBFOM model. We're seeing four new highways, a bus transit route and a new TOD development. So some of these are kind of unspecified in terms of the launch date and the contract model. But yeah, it's certainly an interesting time in Saudi Arabia at the moment in terms of the transport sector. Definitely. What's driving this big push for PPPs? Well, I believe it's all linked to the Vision 2030 plan, which is basically aimed at reducing the country's dependency on oil and diversifying the economy. So it's looking like a massive upgrade and overhaul of the nation's infrastructure. Interesting, interesting. So Saudi Arabia's big boom in pipeline. What else has caught your eye recently? So we've seen quite a few biogas projects coming into procurement recently, particularly in California. There are three currently live right now. We have the San Francisco biogas project, which is at the request for qualification stage. And we have another two in California, the city of Riverside Biogas P3 and the East County Biogas Plant, both of which are at the request for proposal stage. And in Missouri, there's also the Blue River Biogas Project. So, yeah, definitely big movements in that sector at the moment. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting the different forms that PPPs have to take, especially with biogas, there's a a revenue-linked opportunity for those who take on those projects, where in Saudi Arabia, it's a completely different form where it's likely to be availability of some kind. So really, really interesting. Thanks very much for that, Rory. And um, look forward to hearing more next time. Great, sounds good. And thank you both for your time and thank you to our listeners. 